This is the Freestyle Way. All right, so uh, Vicky, uh, welcome to the podcast. Finally, I've been telling you this for probably a year now. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, you and I talk every week, and we've been meeting for training and doing other things. But it's it's been fascinating to just see your evolution. And actually, today I was I was looking at your schedule, and I, I'm just going to share this because I think people listening need to know. And I was like, okay, so you were just in Seattle. Now you're going to Rio. Then you're going to Toronto. Then you're going to Austin, Texas. Then you're going to Montpellier, France. Then Santiago, Chile. Then Montreal, Canada. Then potentially Austria. And then Madrid, Spain. And that is only the next uh, seven and a half weeks. Yeah. It's all one right after another. That's insane. How are you? I'm curious. I, we talk about this, but I'm curious to hear a little bit more of your thinking. How do you, how are you managing this crazy calendar? One week at a time. <laughs> um, I Well, this week is um, my last prep week, so I'm basically trying to take it easy and pack and get it in my mind that I will be traveling for basically two months without stopping. Um so I just want to be ready to do that, <laughs> not to not overthink it, basically. Yeah. I mean, you're a very well thought out person and you're very deliberate about how you do things. But what I've learned over the last year is that it's very hard to be deliberate in this process of trying to qualify for the Olympics. Because everything is just coming at you without a lot of um, time and anticipation, how are you managing that? Like, how how are you how are you holding up mentally, and and what are you doing to stay focused? Uh, mentally, I take a lot of time for myself. Um, like when I wake up, I'll basically take my dog out, and then I'll meditate for like a good thirty to an hour, and then do like a whole morning stretching routine and that is basically like a continuation of the meditation um and then even even though I have to like do work for this like do social media and then respond to emails and things I'm getting better at not trying to think that I have to do more so I'm getting better at being like okay I can rest I can take time for myself and not do anything even though I feel like I have to do more I have to do more like there's so much to do and there's like not that much time to do it but just being able to slow down and take the time because I know I won't have that much time in the next two months I mean basically one thing that we we talked about in December was to enjoy the winter break because starting January of 2023 you're going to have 18 months of non-stop traveling and my sense is that you've remained fairly uh, calm and level-headed throughout this process and I- I'm just curious how are you fitting in everything and how do you prioritize how you fit things in so for example uh, of course you have to practice you have to be doing your training but you also have to need uh, have some kind of life how do you fit in friends family 
pokey time, your dog time. <laughs> How do you do it? How do you prioritize that? Is that just because you really schedule things ahead of time or uh, is it something that you feel out? My schedule is mostly based around Oki, actually. <laughs> so, but it helps because my time with Oki is like either going to the beach or going hiking. And that also helps me do self-care for myself. Um, and then most of my friends I'm breaking with. So when I train, I see them and I catch up. Um, and the friends that I are breaking, I tell them, I'll see you in July. <laughs> right <laughs> makes sense yeah. because uh there there is there's not enough hours in the day to be able to do all those things well it's cool that you you have um friends that you can relate to in breaking and it seems like you and your crew are tight has that always been the case this is my newer crew so right now i train mostly with elephant graveyard which started last year um I'm actually in three other crews, but because many of the people in those crews don't really break anymore or breaking's not a priority. So now I found that people who do have breaking do think of breaking as a priority. So yeah, we all, we're all, several of us are still getting to know each other, but my best friend is also in this crew. So we've known each other for like, 10 more than 10 years so definitely a good support team for for myself yeah I, I feel that tell me uh so something that is is hard for people outside of breaking to understand is what's the difference between a crew and a team so in sports you have teams but in breaking you have crews is is a crew a team or is there something different there it feels like there's something different but i i can't explain it um as well as maybe you can i guess we never really talked about having a team until the olympics started until like breaking started being looked at as a sport like we were always in crews um so a crew is basically for me i think people have different definitions of crews but for me a crew is basically my family my my dance family like it's not just people you you dance with it's like you also go eat with after practice or you go hang out with before an event or after event or you take like trips with mostly to breaking events but you could also go like oh yeah you want to go to this cafe and do some work um just they're just friends that you basically share your life with and because breaking is right now almost my entire life that's who i'm sharing it with yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because a lot of times what happens in sport is that you have a team and maybe in that team you make some friends and then you see them outside. But it seems like with a crew, uh, it's people that you maybe first start to practice around and then you maybe start hanging out with them outside of practice. <laughs> and then you prove yourself and then you become part of a crew unless you you are one of the founders. Oh, were you one of the uh, founders of Elephant Graveyard? Yeah, it's me and Rahul. Um, we've basically been like best friends for years, and but we've never been in the same crew. And finally, we just decided like, we should be in a crew together. <laughs> 
So why not start one? Yeah, so why not start one? <laughs> that is awesome. And and why Elephant Graveyard? Why that name? <laughs> it's it's a pretty funny story. It's actually because all of us in the crew are in what we call dead crews or crews that are inactive or not really not really in the scene anymore. So I'm in a number of dead crews and Rojo was also in a number of dead crews and Elephant Graveyard came from the Elephant Graveyard in Lion King where the hyenas live. And we've like kept kept making more and more meanings about it like, oh yeah, like the elephants are kind of our ancestors, so we're like honoring them by having them in our title. <laughs> and we're just like keep making up stories. <laughs> but that's a big the main thing is that we're just on a bunch of dead crews and that's the elephant graveyard in Lion King. <laughs> I love that. You you had never told me this and I had never asked you that. So I was very curious. Yeah. Uh, that that makes sense. Um so I assume you both like the Lion King movie? <laughs> yeah, I think actually the well, the person who made it up was Ryan from the Elusis who we hang out with a lot and he's like, You you're like the elephant graveyard from Lion King and we're like, Yeah. And that just kind of started off as like a joke crew name that we entered under, and then it just became more serious. Well, it sounds pretty serious and, and scary. Um, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, that's the, the, I, that that brings a lot of levity to it. That, that's cool. Um, okay, so Vicky, I didn't know much about you until I was introduced to you a little bit over a year ago. I guess a year and a half ago. And uh, when I first looked you up and and was trying to find your stuff, at first I was like, wait, is this breaking? Oh, yeah, it is breaking. <laughs> but you had a very unique style. And uh, for someone like myself, who is, is not a breaker and doesn't have the trained eye, I, I just had a hard time putting my finger on it at first. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. She has her own lane and it happens to fit in with breaking but I'm curious, how do you describe your breaking style? The core of it, I'm it really influenced by the context of when I started breaking. So because I'm in the Bay and I started breaking in Berkeley, Berkeley scene, I mean, Berkeley itself is like kind of weird. It's I think that's logo, like the city logo is like keep Berkeley weird or something like that. Um, and I think that that influences its dance and music and art scene as well. So I think it when I started breaking, like there wasn't a lot of a lot of talk about like the foundation of breaking or like the history of breaking or like you have to do breaking this way or that way. Um, so I think that really influenced like, oh, I could just do whatever I wanted. <laughs> and breaking as long as it was to breaking music <laughs> um so i think because of that it it the start of it was weird in that i also put in a lot of different a lot of different dance styles that are really influential in the bay area so like house house dance is really big in the bay and like going out to clubs and just dancing and being free um whether it was breaking or just like movement in general um was a big part of it so i think because of all that and because i continued breaking because i want i i really enjoyed that it was a big creative process 
and I could do basically whatever I wanted in breaking was why my style kind of matured in a way that was a little bit weird or like people might not get it <laughs> um and so I, it would I in my bio I was like how do I describe breaking it's like oh it's intricate it's creative it's like not very conventional um just kind of reflects where I started breaking and how how kind of the Bay Area culture is yeah that makes sense to me uh, I, I love your style of breaking. Of course, I've fallen in love with it because I've got to see how you develop from a pretty close proximity now. Um, I'm curious, when when you started breaking, you were going to school in Berkeley. What were you studying exactly in Berkeley? I studied conservation and resource studies with uh, my concentrations were in ecology and environmental sociology. Okay, so nothing to do really with um, <laughs> the, the the creative arts. Um, so how how how, how does uh, that uh, environmental lane and uh, the creative arts and breaking uh, mesh together for you? And and why are you now uh, instead of pursuing a career in environmental science to some degree? Uh, so devoted to breaking? I think for the past 10 years, they didn't really mesh together. Like, it was always really difficult for me to have a career in restoration ecology and also dance. Like, for example, I also really wanted to study marine ecology, but you couldn't really do field work in the marine environment and also dance on a boat for like weeks at a time. So that's why in a way I kind of not settled, but I kind of fell into plants and restoration ecology restoration ecology because I could work and then I could also go to practice. So it's been hard trying to trying to see how they kind of move together in a way. Um, and I think, yeah, in 2021, I finally was like, I'm just going to try dancing as my career. Like, I I chose Restoration Ecology over dance already for 10 years. Like, I'm going to try dancing, see how I can put it together. Um, because nature, in a way, already influences the way I dance. Some of the concepts influences the way that I create patterns for example like the waves crashing on the shore there's there's an ebb and flow to the way that water go comes and recedes like that's the way some of my patterns are in breaking that comes hits strong and then recedes a little bit and then you go on to the next thing so in a way I'm trying I'm still trying to to find a way in which they can mesh together seamlessly but it's a it's a process mm -hmm. yeah I've, I've i've noticed that and and i guess the intricacy of the way that you move it almost looks like sometimes a root system in a way and i can i can kind of see that there's a lot of like spirals that occur uh it, it's just fascinating and i and I, now that you say the wave thing that that makes uh, sense because the it's almost like the cadence that you have when you break feels like that it, it ebbs and and flows and it's um yeah it's fascinating and 
curious, when did you realize that you were uh, good? Good enough to say, okay. <laughs> good enough to say, okay, I'm going to go into this world of breaking and the arts that, uh, I don't know, uh, doesn't have necessarily a ton of uh, uh, professional and career uh, paths laid out that, that will guarantee a successful future. But how, how did you know that, okay, I'm good enough to try this thing um, and I'm going to go for it. When, when was that? And what was it that allowed you to make that decision? I feel like I was pretty terrible for like good, good, like five, 10 years. <laughs> no, uh, I think it, it was like maybe a couple years ago or like three, five years ago. I felt like I was always like not bad at it. Like I was always like doing okay, but I think I started getting good in the sense of a competition when I changed my mindset to being, all right, I'm going to try to do well at a competition. Because I always knew, I, like, breaking for me was never f to win anything. Like, it was just a, a creative outlet, like I said. Um, so to be good in that competition sense was when I finally thought, I'm going to try to win something because I was spending a lot of money going to these events and just having fun with my friends, but not really, it wasn't really like a end goal. And when I changed my mindset to be, okay, I'm going to spend my money and not waste it and see if I can, if I'm going to win. Basically. Mm -hmm. That was maybe in like probably 2020 ish during, during COVID when I just, went to this event called Break Free in Houston, thrown by um, Habakoro. And they were the only ones really doing events in, in the U.S. at that time. So so they did a series of events, and I just went to all of them, most of them. Um, and that was when I, yeah, when I started to, I think, make my name in the national scene. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that you just said was that you became good the moment you chose to be good. And I think that's very powerful because a lot of people who listen to this, a lot of people who maybe see you from the outside and just kind of look at your ability to move may believe that, you know, you just have this innate talent and you happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right influences. And then boom, all of a sudden you become this thing where uh, you're the first woman who made it onto the uh, USA team, which is the first USA team ever in breaking. Uh, you're on the path to go to the first ever Olympics. You um, have demonstrated that you're more than capable of uh, competing on the national uh, scene, but now you're also uh, coming up on the international scene. And all this in just the span of two years, technically, where you made that choice in 2022 today is pretty remarkable that it came from just a decision of you saying that you just chose to be good. And then in addition to that, now let's just add on, uh, let's just go back to the list here. Seattle, Rio, Toronto, Austin, Montpellier, France, Santiago, Chile, uh, Montreal, Austria, and Madrid. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine events, nine places that you're going to go to. And um, some of those places you're going to be in uh, for a little bit, that that costs money. Uh, 
let's say it's a, an average of fifteen to fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars per event that you're going to. That that puts you at approximately eighteen thousand dollars spent just on travel and going to events <laughs> in the next two months. <laughs> how do how does one do this? Um, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to work and make money. Is it sponsorship? Is it savings? Is it support? Like, how are you doing it? Well, right now it's not sponsors. Hopefully, very soon it will be sponsors. <laughs> But it's mostly um, saved up money from when I used to work in, in consulting, which is almost gone, <laughs> and uh, gigs here and there. And right now I'm really uh, working on my social media because I think for sponsorships, that's a very big uh, part of it. And... The other thing is that I actually did a line of limited edition prints with my friend called Ryland, and we shot five, uh, five really cool, basically prints where I am moving in a different part of nature in the bay, and those are on sale, and that's the way I'm funding for my trips. Yeah, it's it's uh, insane what goes into making this happen. And I, and I want to dive into this in a second. In fact, I, I'm just going to call this to action. If, if you go uh, to uh, Vicky's Instagram, there's a link in her bio. You click there, and uh, you'll find out how to support. And if... if uh, um, every single listener here uh, put in... I don't know, between 10 and 100 bucks, you could potentially be funded all the way to the Olympics, which is pretty cool. So if anybody wants to support, go do that. And in regards to the prints, I I would highly recommend that people check them out. They're a cool limited edition uh, set of prints that you did in nature, which are super beautiful and really represent your style and the way that you see yourself as a mover and within breaking in alignment to to nature and that which it means to be human on this planet. And I think it's very special. So I highly encourage people to go uh, check that out. Now, uh, that being said, when was the moment that you realized that there was no turning back? Where, you, uh-oh, I decided I'm going to try, try this Olympic <laughs> when thing. When I quit my job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I never really thought about it. I just, it was just always kind of the, uh, okay, I'm gonna do this and see where it goes. And then I think in my mind, I was always like, if it doesn't work out, I could always go back to working in in nature because it's not like I hated working it. Like I loved working <laughs> in a restoration job, but I think it's because at that time. I was like, well, I don't want to regret not trying to make dancing my career. And I know I will if I just don't even try it at all. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, there's always a fallback I could do because there's no time limit to working in parks. But there is kind of a physical time limit to working in dance. That That's, uh, that's true. Yeah, your body can only last so long performing at that high level. Yeah. So the time horizon... Uh, yeah, 
is is definitely closer than if you were just working in restoration. What what was the response of your uh, family and closest friends when you said, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to do this thing called breaking applied to trying to make it to the Olympics? What, what did they say? Were they like, yeah, go for it? Or were they like, whoa, have you thought about this? I think for my friends, my crew, they were like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Because they always believed in me more than I believed in myself. <laughs> um, my parents were supportive. I think um, when I when I quit my job, like a couple months in, they were like, "Isn't it really difficult to you know like go back to getting a different job once you've had a break for a while?" And I had to explain that, "Oh no, breaking's my job now, even though I'm not making any money yet." <laughs> But they're supportive. Um, they're always really supportive. They just want me to be happy. But of course, like making it onto Team USA and really be in it um, is a is like a a big thing for people outside of the breaking world. Yeah. What What was that? What was that experience like to finally go to the Olympic training facility and uh, to be surrounded by? Um, a team of people that really care about seeing you succeed. What was that experience like? Uh, what have you taken away from it so far? It was exciting um, because I think in, in breaking in the U.S., there isn't a lot of organizational support for us. So to be able to go to a training center and there's like, and there's support for like physical health, there's sports medicine, there's dietitians, there's a training gym, there's trainers, and just people that are there to help support athletes. It was it was kind of like a, a not a shock, but like a, oh wow, like there's people actually support us outside of the community. <laughs> I mean, people support in the community too, but this is like people from outside coming in and supporting and wanting the best for us. Uh, so it was, it was kind of like a, not a reality check, but it was, it was like a reality check. Like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Like breaking is going to be in the Olympics and breaking is hopefully going to continue to be in the Olympics, especially in LA in 2028. It's a cool feeling. Yeah, it, it, it feels really cool. But I also know that uh, there's been a lot that you've had to process along the way because up until this point, um, you didn't have necessarily uh, people outside of your crew talking to you and trying to encourage you to make decisions in a certain way or to think about your practice in a certain way. I mean, I came in a year ago and here I was just kind of emailing you and then we were sitting down for <laughs> a meeting. You're like, who's this dude? Or what, why are we talking? Uh, yeah. How, what has been the biggest challenge in, in getting all these voices coming into your life, um, and, and you having to make decisions around, yeah, trying to qualify for the Olympics? What's the hardest part? Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for me, breaking wise, was feeling, uh, was feeling that I still had integrity in my dance because there's um, like there's a 
specific judging system. There's a bunch of judges. There's coaches um, and people like that want the best for you. But because of that, there's a certain way where it's encouraged for you to dance to in order to do well in that judging system. And for me, it was that I didn't really want to change the way that I danced just just to make it. So I had to, um, I had to, to kind of alter the way I thought about my dancing in order to, to be like, okay, I still feel like my dance is, has integrity to myself, um, in the way that I'm dancing, the way I wanted to dance and also improving it in a way that, that does well in this specific judging system. So instead of being like, oh, I got to dumb down my, my, my like texts and my, my little details that don't do well on the stage, like I can improve my dancing by like learning these more foundational movements, not foundational, but like these larger dynamic movements and put it into my material in a way that feels good to myself. So just not not just like putting stuff in because I need to put stuff in to do well in this judging system. Yeah, integrity. That's a that's a really challenging one because you could have easily just been like, sure, just tell me what to do. I'll do exactly that. And then all of a sudden, um, you're maybe qualifying for the Olympics, but you're a shell of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that would have been uh awful. And I and I've seen you really try to navigate this, yeah, idea of what it means to have integrity within your craft as a dancer, yet apply that to winning competitions so that you can get to this bigger platform called the Olympics. How how do you in your head? How do you manage that in terms of how do you think about the Olympics? Like, what does the Olympics mean to you? In the long run of things, I think the Olympics for me is a way in which I can I can leverage it in a way where I can start supporting myself um, through dance and in the end goal of being able to use that support as a way to support my community in opening a space that I feel like we really need in the Bay, um, just for dancers to like, just hang out, not, not like a dance studio, but like a place where everyone can just get together. Um, obviously it would be great to make the Olympics, but that's not the end goal. It's in in my mind. It's not the end goal. And just so people get an idea, you have spent many hours, many days practicing, basically outside of a community center. Yeah, like on the street. You literally train on the street. And yeah, so I I am lucky enough where I get one day a week in a studio in SF. Um, but outside of that, I'm training outside. Um, libraries <laughs> actually two different libraries because apparently libraries have really nice floors outside <laughs> I mean that is so it, that is so fucking insane when you think about it 
that you, a top-tier athlete and, and craftswoman, have to go to a library and be outside of the library training <laughs> on that floor because that's the only space that you have access to. It would be nice to have access to more spaces. Yeah, you would think that uh, breaking having been around for 50 years or whatever now and having demonstrated such competence that it would be at a level where, yeah, access to a dance space for a top-tier athlete and dancer would be readily available in a in a place like the Bay Area in San Jose where, I mean... Uh, yeah, this is supposed to be a first world country or whatever you want to call it with resources, but here you are dancing on the streets. And that is how you're training for the Olympics as part of Team USA. How, like, my brain can't compute. I think the arts has always been underfunded in the U.S. Uh, we just don't have that much support in general. And especially in the Bay, because it's so expensive to have anything here. Like the studio that I went to, Movement, which is run by my crewmate, it had to close down because they couldn't survive COVID. Um, and I think, yeah, it sucks. But it that's why I think it's really important for me to, to succeed financially and to be able to sustain myself so that I can have a space in the Bay so I can start a space in the, in the Bay and help out because there just isn't that much for us. And if it doesn't include other dance styles, and I think that's one of the ways that breaking being in the Olympics is important for our community is even though there is some pushback, because it is a cultural dance and it there's a fear that we aren't able to control the narrative and the culture of it will be washed down. Um, I think it's important in the way that it brings in finances and it brings in support from outside and we can have spaces just for us and not we don't have to include like contemporary and ballet and other things like that. It can be a it can be a breaking first, breaking specific yeah. facility space that encourages uh, the art of breaking to flourish and you to be able to create that space in a way that also aligns with what you believe in and your values. And that's actually the thing that kept me going. And um, just for everybody listening, within I guess within a month of us talking, I told you I'm committed to you until August 10th of 2024 at least, which is when the Olympics are happening for breaking specifically. And the, the reason I felt so uh, strongly about being committed to supporting you through this process was because I believe in one, your vision. And I also believe that breaking is a very valuable asset to everybody. And it requires people like yourself to take massive risks like you're doing. And people who have integrity within taking that risk to develop a business that is transferable to the greater community. And as much as you are 
an artist and an athlete. You're also now a business owner. You are a solopreneur, we've said. You're a, you're a business of one. But but the vision is clear is that that business of one is there to provide um, a foundation, a new foundation for what breaking can become. And I, I just want to say that I admire that uh, tremendously, and I'll do everything in my power to support that. And I, I hope people listening can understand to some degree, like, the value of your commitment to this craft. And my hope is that when they, when a larger group of people gets to see you, people outside of the breaking community get to see you, that they feel inspired to want to um, move towards uh, practicing breaking in a way that maybe at first emulates you and your style, but then within it allows them to to find themselves. That's one of the most important parts of breaking, I feel like, is that it gives you the freedom to to explore who a person really is or explore who you are and how you want to move and how you want to communicate and how you want to present yourself to the world. And it's that and also being able to give back to the community that's helped you grow and helped you start. I think that's a really, um, it, it is one of the, like the little, the foundations of, of breaking is that I know this, everyone says this, but Cohen said this too, it's like each one teach one, which everyone says it. So I hate saying it, but it is, it's, it, it's that like reciprocal relationship you have with the community. Like you didn't get where you are just by yourself. Like, yeah, I worked hard to get here and yes, there's been luck, but if I, if there wasn't the people around me helping me, then there's no way I would be where I am now. And because of that, I want to help them help the community that's helped me grow. And it's that continuing reciprocal uh, relationship. Yeah, and and if we were to uh, have use an analogy, when uh, you were talking about your your um, work in in restoration, yeah. this this sounds like part of your work is to restore a new balance in the ecosystem of breaking. Yeah, or rehabilitate. I like to use the word rehabilitate. Um, because nature's never been just like nature, like n- nature and humans have grown alongside each other for years and years and years. And if people weren't, didn't have this reciprocal relationship with nature where we helped them out and the plants helped us out, it would never be the way it is now. Um, so just that Lion King reference again, the circle of life, come on, it all come comes on. together. <laughs> Exactly. And I and I and I'm 100 percent there with you. And I think to to be aware of that relationship, that reciprocal relationship is key, because I, I, I know that in in breaking, there's a lot of like everywhere, but there there's a lot of um, I wouldn't say just like high expression of egos. I think we all have an ego, but a, a need for control and it comes from, you know, many different places, but but sometimes it comes from a place of uh, not knowing and then have having been taken advantage to of to some degree, 
you know, when, when there was opportunities in the 80s and then kind of like leading into the 90s. Um, yeah, it was almost like braking was becoming uh, very commercialized, but that actually watered down the 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 culture, watered down the foundation, and then it felt like it disappeared from the public eye for a while, and now it's kind of having this like resurgence, but it, it's coming in now uh, from a place of, uh, like you said earlier, uh, integrity, and I guess something that I hadn't thought about was that it's, it needs rehabilitating. It's being rehabilitated. And, and you seem to be playing a very powerful role in that. Uh, have, you, have you had any pushback or anybody say, hey, you know what, uh, what you're doing is actually not good for uh, breaking? Or has it been like, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Vicky, it's great. No one's ever said that directly to me. Uh, I've heard like chattering about even if people don't want breaking to the beat to be an Olympics, they're still supporting their friends that are trying to go for it because of course, like everyone wants their friends to succeed, even if they don't agree with with how this is going or how that is going. So that seems to be the general consensus. But that's just the things I'm hearing. But all my friends are like, Yeah, you should do it. <laughs> See where it goes. <laughs> do do you do you feel any pressure representing the United States in the Olympics as um, a person who is now not only representing the U.S., but also the birth country of breaking? Yeah, uh, because I think it's partly because uh, breaking on large stages seems to be a lot more... uh, a lot further more on its way or further on its way in other countries like they seem to always be throwing larger events and in the u.s it's not really like excuse me it's not really like the thing all i think the events in the u.s are definitely like a lot more underground and they emphasize different parts of breaking that are than in Europe or in Asia. Um, so it, it's interesting to see what it's like. And I, there's definitely some pressure there because breaking is from the U.S. And I think I've heard, yeah, that people outside of the country are always like, yeah, I'd be someone from the U.S., but I don't know. Like, I, I don't. I, it's there, but it, I don't really let it bother me because... That's not one. I don't want to waste my energy focusing on that, you know? I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool. I mean, it's the the best part of it is just traveling and meeting other people who also break outside the U.S. Yeah, you, you, you definitely are somebody who is in it to soak up experiences, and I'm glad you, you're able to, uh, yeah, just see it from that place of, oh, that's kind of out of my control in many ways. So, yeah, why, why should I even waste time? Uh, I'm really about good it. at doing that. <laughs> I I know you are. <laughs> I, I <laughs> sometimes sometimes I feel like I'm I'm on your back, just kind of like, hey, Vicky, are you are you paying attention to this? And you're like, I am. It's just at my time, Carl, not now. Um, yeah, I I feel like you and I have had a a, a fun relationship where uh, I I I was kind of joking when you were in Tokyo and we I was sending you a million messages and you received zero of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, know. thank goodness, 
thank goodness you and I speak uh, and communicate telepathically because otherwise this would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now we know. <laughs> now we know. Now we know. Yeah, you definitely, you, you move at your own pace uh, and you do it with, uh, yeah, just a sense of, I think, freedom, which is really, really powerful. Um, yeah. And I, I, I admire that. It hasn't it's always cool. been like that. Because growing up, like, I was always really shy. I still am kind of super quiet. Uh, but uh, there were, I think it was kind of a defense mechanism, like, not paying attention to what people said. Um, because I was, like, bullied in high school. And it was hard for me in a way because I was shy. I was Asian. I was a loner because I was shy. So it was like obviously my fault. I didn't reach out to people and have have a lot of friends. And I was also trying to come with terms with being queer, which I didn't even know was a thing because I was sheltered until like end of high school, like start of college when I went to Berkeley and it's a whole big thing. So I think in a way, like not caring about what other people were thinking was a like a really good defense mechanism for me. And it just kind of carried through. And I just, it's easier for me not to care about what other people are thinking unless I really respect them or unless I'm close with them. Then, then I will give cred, like credit to what people think about me. Yeah, I love that about you. And there's there's so, so many layers there, but I, I, I can, we don't even have to talk about it, but I can just sense where your strength comes from because if you are somebody who's very introspective and then you feel shy and sheltered and uh, all of a sudden you're having to navigate this big world, there's a level of strength, especially if you've been bullied. I, I can relate to that. I was bullied throughout my whole school year, years. Uh, and it sucked, but it was gymnastics that helped me get through it. And I, I just know that for me, it took a level of strength that I could only tap into through my training and then the support of, for example, my, my younger brother, he's, he's two years younger than me, but without him, I would have never had the courage to kind of step out and be like, no, no, the way I am, that's, that's cool. And I want to I want to be like this. So I I just admire that about you. Uh, it, has breaking helped you? I mean, this is oh <laughs> for sure like pun uh, pun intended, I guess, to break through. <laughs> oh God, that's terrible. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm allowed. I'm allowed. <laughs> I get to be like your dorky friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, breaking is what what changed my life. Being able to communicate through movement not having to speak and then finding a way to transfer my confidence in breaking to my confidence in speaking <laughs> so without breaking i don't know who i'd be i'm sure i would have found a different another hobby or another passion that would have helped in a similar way but this is the way it is now so well it's beautiful the way it is and you communicate beautifully through movement and I think everybody needs to see it because when, and especially if you see it just in person and I haven't seen it all, but when I've seen you just move, especially just when we've trained, I mean, just the basic training, uh, learning basic movements, you think about movement in a way that is so aware and so 
deliberate in what it can produce that it it just feels exciting and i just hope people can witness you do your thing at least once in their life uh that would be really cool <laughs> um so vicky i'm curious it just just for people listening i i know because i talk to you all the time but um can can you share with me and everybody listening how does a professional breaker trying to qualify for the olympics train and prepare what are the things that you do like what does what does it look like well it's training working out three times a week um got to do that social media finances <laughs> <laughs> are a big thing obviously <laughs> um and actual training so breaking practice two to three hours a day five days a week and then the most important of all recovery which is one around an hour to two and then after practice and then Usually, if I have time, um, like a hot bath, a salt bath, Epsom salt bath. And then the thing I'm not doing enough, which is sleep, and I need to sleep more. But I think that's important. And also, meditating is really important for me, so I don't go nuts. <laughs> yeah, so you, ha- you have, um, let's start from the, the, the back. You have meditation, which is you um finding baseline in terms of your emotional and mental you have uh your uh basic mobility movement practice that you do kind of stretching in the mornings then you have you do a lot of walking because you you're out walking with your dog oki who you spend a lot of time with and you do this a lot in nature Mm -hmm. then you have your physical training so you do strength and conditioning which um has been something that you've been very consistent with for now a year and you become much stronger and it's been exciting to see that sure in addition to that earlier <laughs> well you, you you didn't know you were going to go pro uh it, then you do also uh a lot of accessory and rehab work because you're pushing your body like crazy so you have to do accessory on top of that you do practice so you practice and how many hours do you practice every time you practice about two to three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And you do that how many times a week? Four? Five. Five. Yeah. And that's that's when you're when you're not traveling. When I travel, I'll still practice. But just in the hotel room. Right. Just in the, it becomes a different type of practice. Then you're competing. And these co- competitions uh, last sometimes two days. Yeah. And then you're having to eat, sleep. <laughs> I mean... Um, yeah, pro athlete. There's not much more time to do anything other than break. So it's, yeah. it's like you 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 don't get any breaks uh, throughout the day. It's it's like one continuous thing. Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand this that you don't yeah. just arrive at breaking at the level that you're breaking. That everything that you are and do has to be dialed. Yeah, just sacrifice some things. Unfortunately, like this year, I'm. I wanted to enter more with my crew, but because there's so many qualifiers for for the Olympics, I have to turn down a lot of the events. 
Vicky, what do you want uh, people outside of breaking to know about breaking? And if you, you can't speak for breaking as a whole, what do you want people to know about your breaking? The way I think about breaking, I want people to know that it's it's amazing and it's unlimited uh, unlimited potential of creative freedom. There's a lot of power in that. Well, I can't wait for people to get to know you more. I can't wait for people to watch you compete. And I can't wait to see what comes from it. And I believe that this vision of having a space here locally in the Bay Area that is founded and started by you and that can bring to life other careers and other breakers within the scene uh, and and get them to where they want to go is really, really powerful. Uh, so c- congrats on, on uh, starting the, this journey and, and paving the, the way. It's, it's pretty, pretty epic. Yeah. Super cool. Um, any final words? Not really. Thanks, Carl, for being a lot on the ride with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so, okay. One sec. And it's debris. I have to get Oki in. He's knocking on the door. <laughs> Get Oki in, and then I'm I'm gonna just uh, let people know okay. what's happening here. So, uh, to to support Vicky, uh, go to her Instagram. I'm gonna leave the link in the description and the show notes, and there you will find uh, a link to her website. Uh, get some of her prints. Uh, you have Venmo, PayPal, uh, Cash App. That's not a Cash App. Yeah, send Vicky some money. Send her money. It's going to be helpful. And it what you're really investing in is not only one person's dream, but what you're investing is is an entire community, an entire movement that um, only time will tell, but it I can see it influencing so many. The same way gymnastics has influenced me and millions around the world, I see breaking doing the same. And once, um, yeah, breaking uh, just hits that inflection point where it becomes a little bit more um, I want to say well-known outside of the breaking community, people will start seeing the value beyond uh, what's understood at the surface of, of what the craft really is. So, yeah, that's that's why I encourage everybody to go support Vicky. Vicky, I appreciate you. Uh, keep kicking ass. Let's keep working hard. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue the conversation. Yes. Yeah. This Thank you. This is the Freestyle Way.